We speak too much and feel too little. Don't give yourself to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. Okay, welcome to another episode of Denusion. This week's episode is a little bit different. We've been airing uh, a good number of conversations recently, and uh, what we wanted to do is take a break, do some editing. We have uh, some exciting episodes coming up, and uh, actually spend some time listening to uh, another chapter of Wild Like Flowers. This is chapter four to be a stone. The entire chapter, as we will uh, jump into in a minute, is uh, a story where we walk through the decomposition, or really the living emergence via decomposition of a stone and and what that means for regeneration, especially as it comes uh, down to this idea of regenerating relationship. I just had a conversation last night with a dear friend of mine. It will be the next episode that errors all about Uh, relationship and intimacy and this idea uh, or really question of how does relationship and intimacy uh, converge with the need for production. And so I I think it's proper that as we prepare for the next next episode to drop, uh, that we first take a quick listen to uh, this story in Wildlike Flowers, really to prepare the space for these thoughts to emerge. I do want to quickly highlight listeners of the Denusian podcast uh, receive a 50% off coupon to Wildlike Flowers uh, on our website. What we're really asking is for you just to support the printing and shipping of the book. Uh, 50% off really delivers that to you at cost. We would be happy to get it in your hands. Uh, Go to uh, the show notes. There's a link there and a coupon code to use. Uh, We are thrilled. Uh, for you guys to uh, get this in your hands and, and read along as this season unfurls. Chapter 4. To Be a Stone Happy is the little stone that rambles in the road alone, and doesn't care about careers and exigencies never fears, whose coat of elemental brown a passing universe put on, and independent as the sun, associates or glows alone, fulfilling absolute decree in casual simplicity. Emily Dickinson I was tracking among the fallen debris that loggers in their haste and automation decreed for a chance to glimpse history past, a chance to meet a friend at last. Many impulses spur today's humans to stumble through a clear-cut, excavated or plowed landscape. Some are looking for treasure, others escape. I fell in love with looking for arrowheads, or projectile points, to use the colloquial phraseology, because I fell in love with making friends. Hold a jagged yet perfectly shaped stone in your hand and close your eyes. Do you see it? That village there, striving to simply be. 
to feed its tomorrow, to protect its today, and to live in honor of its yesterday. History is the art of putting words in front of this image, but today you have the image itself. What you do next is up to you. This story is not about arrowheads or that village, but another type of stone altogether. A stone with a story much deeper than any history, village, or human impulse. On top of a bluff that overlooks a great valley bottom, my eyes meet a nearly circular degree of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Not a quarter mile from this spot flows the great James River, maneuvering around this elevated form like a snake around its lunch. Distant enough to escape notice, but close enough to know that I am trespassing. The James is unique today in a world of dams and cities and soil conservation, as it flows unimpeded from its mountain springs in the Virginia interior all the way to its grand voyage at the Atlantic. It is truly a spectacle for wonderment in a speculative age. But my eyes are on neither the mountains nor the river. Instead, they pierce through the brush at my feet to find something older than both. Geologists struggle to make sense of time, for in their estimations, stones exist outside of it. The 18th century Scottish geologist James Hutton, widely believed to be one of the greatest pioneers of the science of geology, claimed in his work, Theory of the Earth, that on Earth we find no vestige of a beginning and no prospect of an end. Although the exactness of this argument lacks any vestige of truth, Hutton's meaning remains perfectly genuine. The vastness of geological time is unknowable. That is, we human beings live such finite lives that the seemingly infinite often passes us right by. Modern geologists record time in an entirely different way than everyone else. It would appear the continual repetition of one zero after the next petrifies them, and thus they record the number one million as one ma, meaning one mega anum. One billion they denote as one ga or one giga anum. It is as though by dating such and such a rock as 1.7 ma, they are claiming that this specimen operated or came into operation some value of a mega long time ago. They are scientifically unscientific, and this modesty is their strength. Geology is a simple methodology to describe things that are, in many ways, entirely too real. Casually simple. I left the main ridge some time ago, rejoicing with the goldenrod and the common boniset over the fresh gift of rain and the cloudless days that followed. Every step down the hill resulted in an increase of their numbers. The geometric architecture of these wildflowers has always impressed my soul with a sense of the transcendent. How does goldenrod's slight central frame hold such an abundance of soft, bursting yellow flowers? Who constructed Bonisset's seemingly endless network of geometrical lattices? Lost in these questions, I found myself quite literally over my head in wild blackberries. These thorny shrubs thrive in most every soil, but the rich humus of this little upland valley had fashioned a nearly impassable stand of dense and thorny canes. 
Skirting its edges, my eye stumbled upon a stone that was neither white nor clear nor blue, but some combination of all three. It was half exposed, half lodged in the dirt, just below a streak of washed-out debris. Emerson argued that the sun illuminates only the eye of the man, but shines into the eye and the heart of the child. Perhaps that is true. But the rain also illuminates that which the eye cannot see, and today I rejoiced for the rain. Picking it up and inspecting its nature, I discovered that the stone was blue quartzite and that it was far away from home. I had passed a few thousand, perhaps even one MA, of jagged field stones during my walk, but this one was different. The passing universe had put a smooth and rounded surface on the stone, and it looked more like a large egg than a field stone or rock. What was a river stone doing so far from a river, and so high on a hill? Blue quartzite originates from the ancient protoliths of the Piney River, about 20 miles distant. At the confluence of its north and south forks, the Piney rises out of the Blue Ridge Mountains to embark on a 16-mile journey before emptying into the Tai River, a tributary of the James River. Certain geologists have discovered veins of this rich blue stone in the Piney's region that they date to pre-990 M.A., or approximately a super-mega-long time ago. Quartz is a jagged and sharp stone, a stone that is shiny, colorful, and very similar to its friends, diamond and crystal. But this stone was neither shiny nor jagged, clear nor outrightly colorful. It had the beauty of age. Round, dull, and weathered, this gift was out of place. Although modern soil scientists claim that the difference between soil and dirt is that the first contains an abundance of life, and the latter does not. This stone was alive, is alive. Soil is stones that got tired of being stones and decided to be something else. Bacteria and fungi then invited themselves to the party, and the soil food web festivities began. You see... To be a stone is not to be static or strong, and it is definitely not to be lifeless. To be a stone is to be wise enough to know that life is motion, and that motion is just another form of patience. Tumble The last glacial period occurred during the Paleolithic and early Mesolithic periods of history, about a mega-minor long time ago. When glaciers retreat, they often deposit large embankments of till, rock, sand, dirt, and gravel, and leave behind anything that they pick up. The Robin Hoods of the day, glaciers are responsible for moving this here and that there to create a landscape rich in beauty, but also, more tangibly, rich in streams and rivers. Glacial erratics are rocks that appear out of place. Rocks that should be about 20 miles distant from my hilltop. No matter their size, these erratics are carried by glaciation and deposited when the force melts from underneath them. Tumble. Rivers are born in the wake of retreating ice. The embankments and erratics are once again walking and moving, carried not by retreating ice, but by advancing water. 
more than likely given the evolving history of the last ice age, or rather, our undulating understanding of its nature. This stone's locomotion was more likely due to water, not ice. Rivers are the confluence where gravitational pull meets opportunity, and the mountains and higher plains of this period had much water to give. Tumble. A protolith fragments under the weight and constant pressure of a water droplet, and our once jagged stone broke free. The Piney River today is in no rush to get where it is going. But a minor mega long time ago, opportunity had made it impatient. Our stone inched forward, year by year adventured from its homeland. Prehistoric freshwater biota spawned new life in its crevices. Creating history of its own, and ancient arthropods found safe harbor in its shadows. The eastern cougar and saber-toothed cat alike lapped their strength from the current that pushed the stone forward, and the American mastodon simply walked through it, using our stone as a step to get from this side to that. The antelope patiently waited and watched from the distance, knowing its strength was sagacity and speed. Life moved forward. And so did the stone. The passing flow of clear mountain water progressively smoothed the stone's jagged exterior, a change perceptible only across the centuries. Patience is, at times, the best spectacle we have, to see that which we struggle to understand. Modern humans will never place a tree and grasses besides one another in a contest of age or importance. But in the eyes of patience and mega-anums, Trees and stones are just little grasses, and the limits of our lives are not our little lifetimes, but the perceived life and times of theirs. I have heard the talk of primeval forests, but what about the primeval grasslands? Regeneration is patience, and we are in need of a healthy dose of both. Eventually our stone emptied into the Tai River, and then into the James. Tumble Our wildland is an ancient river bottom of the James River, which flows today eastward in the valley cut below this hillside. Sink a shovel a foot or two beneath the soil surface and you will find history itself. Truckloads of smooth river stones. Mary Oliver argued that language is sound, and that words have a felt quality of their own one that passes through the years of the hearer and into the very soul of their being. The language of stones is a language you have to feel to believe, and these charming and independent beings speak of times past and tell adventurous stories that predate the human story itself. Pick up a stone and close your eyes. Feel its passing weight, its cold presentness your history writ on the back of giants. Tumble. Time is change and so is life. Eventually, the James River cut its modern path and left the highlands for humans. Like the glaciers before it, the receding waters left rich deposits of smooth stones, some to be made into points and spears and bowls, and others to just be. All, whatever their use, were home. That is what it means to be. Our stone sat in silence as it watched wave after wave of life wander by.
Modern archaeological findings suggest a continual presence of indigenous peoples in this area for 10,000 years before Europeans even set their eyes upon it. But the stone sat silently. It watched forests grow and be cut only to grow again. It watched ecosystem succession and stability achieved, and then it watched it all be destroyed by wildfires or greed. It tolerantly observed from its muddy perch as the new world was supposedly transfigured into a land of the free, and it wondered why freedom was believed to be new in this ancient world. This landscape is the historical home of the Monacan people, an indigenous tribe that, instead of confronting the conflict of cultures at the beginning of the 16th and 17th centuries, they receded before it. They had no time for those who came looking for gold or riches or rights. And I don't blame them. It is important to pause here within this stage of our stone's journey. In 1607, 104 Englishmen arrived in what we know today as Jamestown, Virginia. On their wooded and coastal periphery were over 14,000 Powhatan people and warriors. And yet, these skill-lacking and gold-seeking colonizers were allowed to survive, and at times even thrive. Allowed is the key word here. They were allowed to be. This should prompt us to re-examine indigenous history, culture, and society. Tumble. In 1600, it is believed that North America was clothed in healthy balance, half in forest and half in grasslands, lakes, and wetlands. Mechanization proved to be a cruel master, and our stone watched as this balanced split was made and molded into progress itself. Today, only 30% of this landscape knows the community of forests, and the wetlands have all but gone. I have heard it argued that only 8% of the trees on the eastern seaboard of the United States survived the 20th century's ravenous industrialization. But our stone watched in silence. Eric Maria remarks, all quiet on the western front, questioned if returning heroes are ever able to truly come home at all. He wrote that the generation following that which fought in Flanders will be strange to us and push us aside. We will be superfluous, even to ourselves. We will grow older. A few will adapt themselves, some others will merely submit. And most will be bewildered. The years will pass by, and in the end, we shall fall into ruin. I cannot help but think of forests as history's legions, and the 8% as the unlucky few, the lonely few, the remaining few. They stand in silence in the years pass by. They attempt friendship with the slash pine crowding their feet, but language has changed, and they struggle to adapt. Foresters today classify old-growth forests as communities that are, at least, 150 years old. Flanders few can barely remember an age long ago when they were considered old-growth, and when they had community. Man's historical timeline is incredibly recent. Observers glimpse these giants' passing grandeur, and the most observant can even hear them whisper 
our history back to us. But in the end, all shall fall, and all shall be born once more. The conclusion of perhaps the greatest work of art ever told tells of the death of the German soldier, Paul Balmer, whose face had an expression of calm, as though almost glad the end has come, writes Remark. Walk into the woodland, near your home, and greet the children and great-grandchildren of giants, of heroes. Some grew out of their mother's stumps, others from the bosom of her seed. Our stone walked with giants, but we will never know them. Progress is in our way. But our stone is still calm, for it knows that the end has come and endings are just new beginnings. Life and death, the future is at hand. If this stone could talk, if we could but listen, tumble. Oliver claimed that poems are not language but the content of language, and I cannot help but think the same is true for stones. To be a stone is to be both alive and dead, to contain yesterday's truths, today's marvels, and tomorrow's soil. Forgiveness and reciprocity contained within the firm center of life itself. To be a stone is to understand movement for what it is. Patience in progress. Yes, patience is the prerequisite of regeneration and no seed catalogs or drills can speed up the rivers. Tumble. Yes, this stone taught me that. 